0: Hi, Liz Winstead, co creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front, or as we call it, Abortion AF. Abortion AF is a nonprofit created by activists, organizers, and a variety of showbiz types who want to use our talents and platforms to raise awareness to the erosion of abortion access and create programs that help us reclaim this fundamental right. We help connect local abortion providers and activists with their community so folks can learn how to help clinics stay open, patients access care, and reverse the current decimation of bodily autonomy. We also get into good trouble, exposing the lies of the anti-abortion movement, at their churches, their rallies, and their religious-based fake abortion clinics where creepy people doing some sort of medical cosplay demonize folks seeking abortion care instead of providing it. Oh yeah, and our weekly podcast, Feminist Buzzkills Live, we use facts and humor to wade through the ever-changing news in this hellscape. To learn more or to make a donation, visit AAfront.org. Exposing sexist ass clowns has never been more rewarding. Waybo is filmed for live studio audience being held against their
1: will. Julia and Eric, I, I've, I've had this question for you. Um, I forget when the first X-Men episode aired. The first one from the animators. Um, I have to ask you why you killed Morph.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, that's that
2: that oh, You're uh, leading with that? i leading
1: with it. There, is, it's there very, is a reason. Very important. very, very uh,
3: important. Uh, I would, like the first day that uh, we were given this assignment, I sat down with Mark Edens, who's my buddy from college. We've written a hundred things together. and
2: His head co-writer. And and yes,
3: yeah, he, who laid out the first two seasons with me. And we both looked at each other and said... We gotta we gotta kill somebody in the first episode to show that there are consequences to be an X Men. They can't just be out there doing play play action and play violence and play jeopardy. It has to be real jeopardy. So that's why Morph was included in the original team to be to be heroically sacrificed.
2: And when so, he said that, it was like good uh, luck getting a And
3: pass. she su- she said, What, at a kitchen on Saturday morning? Censors won't let us get near that. Right. But, But we luckily, one of the great gifts from heaven that we got was our censor, our broadcast standards lady,
2: who had the final voice on everything. Nothing could get. Nothing in the
3: show could get past unless she signed off on it. She liked the books. She understood storytelling. She'd spent some time in primetime. So nine out of ten people in her position wouldn't have allowed us to do it. But she got it. It took about a week of back and forth and rules, like it had to be off-screen. It had, to, you know, it couldn't be gratuitous. It was all about the grief uh, of the team, not about oh look, there's more if I'll splattered across. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of rules set down, but in the end, she allowed us to do it, and she understand understood why we did it.
2: Shout out. Her name is Avery Coburn, and without her, none of X Men would have happened.
3: Wonderful. Yeah.
2: More importantly, the president of Fox Kids at the time, a woman named Margaret Lesh, she's responsible for all of it for Fox Kids. But she was the one who spearheaded X Men: The Animated Series specifically, and without her being on board, none of this would have happened. Yeah, there,
3: are, there are hundred things that came up, and she had her back on all of them.
1: Yeah. That's awesome, and you don't you don't usually hear that. No, um, <laughs> no, you, you no. don't no, usually no, hear the first that. The
3: executives,
1: no. Yeah. So no. I I had to ask because I you know I was little uh, when I saw the show I forget how old I was but um I remember going like what they killed they killed the character in, like the first episode that I, I I as a child had never seen that before and then we were, I was sold so.
2: we were charged from the top down don't write down to the audience this is a show with young adults and adults in it you know there's they have superpowers but they're people um you know write as honestly as you can pretend it's an hour-length primetime drama, but it's a half-hour animated show for Saturday morning.
3: Yeah, and their emotions are the same thing a bunch of 30-year-old adults would have who are living and fighting together and cared about each other and didn't or wanted to strangle each other. Just be sure to have that all be real and have all the action and the color and the fast-pacing and the, and the super and the superhero fun and all the powers but have it based in reality with uh, basically an adult cast.
2: One one funny bit, you mentioned we speak lovingly of Morph, but Eric, the story of the voice actor... (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah, the voice actor. Ron Rubin. Ron Very Rubin. Very talented. Very talented. More manic than Morph is in real life. <laughs> and so he's up there with a dozen other people in Toronto, Canada, where they're recording it. And everybody's reading their scripts. And they're all like, oh, this is so cool. It's going to get 13 episodes. It's going to be a whole three months worth of work. Oh, and more, he's like, what do you mean I die in episode
1: two? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and all he could think of was, that's two paychecks. Everybody else in this room is getting 13 paychecks and I'm getting two. <laughs> what is going on here? And yeah. we, you
1: know, Sorry, pal. You,
3: you know, weren't you know. the only
2: one who felt more <laughs> <to> death. death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he came back. You know, he did He, did, he oh, did yeah. get a chance to come back. I, I actually, I really, that was my first, uh, really the first story. Like, for me, that was the entry point to, to X-Men and Marvel Comics was the show, was your show. Yeah. Uh, and I found that that's true consistently for people... Um, I guess you would call xenials. So, you yeah, know, not quite, not quite millennials, not quite Gen X. Uh, but if you ask anyone among that age group, 1981, 1985, I'm sorry, 77 to 85, uh, they will tell you that the X-Men cartoon, the Spider-Man cartoon, also on Fox Kids, Batman, the animated series, all of that was how they got into the comics. It wasn't the comics themselves that brought them. And so I, I so I owe that, I owe you a big thanks. And so, uh, that leads to my next question, of course, which you know is coming, uh, which is, can you tell us what you're currently working on? <laughs> yes, we can. We have, uh, Julia, Julia has a statement.
3: I've uh,
2: written down what I can her, say.
3: Her <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll add to it. We don't
3: have to just stick with that.
2: But again, let's just remember, X-Men, you, you asked what day. It was Halloween night, 1992, when the first episode aired. Yes. And I was convinced Kids are going to be out trick-or-treating. Who's going to be around to watch yes. it? But the timing, it hit just perfect. And they Kids had, were home, counting yeah, their candy. Yeah.
3: But they had so little faith that this was going to be successful because, ah, oh, that Marvel stuff, that cartoon, the comic book stuff, it never works out here. Right? That we were all let go after we did the first 13 episodes, after we wrote and drew them. The entire <laughs> creative cast was let go. Yeah. We were working on their stuff for about three months. It shows in January and suddenly, it's a number one hit, and there's frantic phone calls. You can come back, right? You can come back, right? But that, that shows how little, in 1992, how few people knew who the X-Men were, yes. and how little faith Hollywood had in our deal. However,
2: so it ran through '92 to '97, right? And, that, and it, I am going to tell you, I believe it begat the blockbuster movie franchise because it introduced an audience to the X-Men characters that didn't necessarily know who they were, honestly.
3: Okay. And specifically the lady who did our show, Margaret Lesk, went to the Fox uh, theatrical people and said, you have a gold mine here. And said, ah, you know, okay. so yeah. it's a, a big hit cartoon. Yeah, you know, hundreds of millions of people watched it. You'd think they get past that. But people are, can be very compartmentalized out here. And so they said, I don't think it's going to make a movie. You know, people aren't going to buy it. Uh, but she pushed, and they did it and voila.
2: And I'll say without the success of the X-Men movies, Marvel would not have been in a position to do Iron Man. So, Oh, thank you. You're nodding your head. I appreciate (laughs) that. I do appreciate But now
3: on to what we're doing now.
2: So 25 years after the show went off the air, and we've been out there kind of in the wilderness going, folks remember X-Men? Because as writers, we didn't get a chance to go to cons and things to meet the fans who we didn't realize how big the show was at the time. Then, on November 12, 2021, Disney plus Marvel announced its production of the show X-Men 97, a continuation of X-Men the Animated Series. Together with producer-director Larry Houston, the three of us have been brought onto the show as consulting producers. We are gratified and pleased. And beyond that, we have no comment.
3: (laughs) Kind of yeah but right, it, right. It, it's just it's 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 a cool thing to watch i mean the fact that yeah. that yeah. it's like one of the first things they're trying to do that disney plus has a huge staff there they're they're making a big beautiful wonderful looking cartoon um and the fact that it is a continuation not like a new idea it's this the the, the huge staff all loved our show and wanted to do a continuation wanted to do soon after what you just saw in the first five seasons okay here's okay here's x-men and that's why they call it x-men 97 because it takes off where ours left off in 97 and for that we're incredibly you know grateful and and humbled that that, that would be the you know the focus they take but uh it's because it's, they could
2: have done anything they, yeah. and they can still do yes. anything But the fact that, and the fact that in Hollywood that we've been invited to the party is incredibly gratifying because that doesn't always happen either. Uh,
3: Oh, doesn't usually. It doesn't usually (laughs) happen. (laughs) We've worked on a lot of shows. We've Ah. seen some people on very successful shows, and they'll do a new version, and the phone never rings. Phone never rings. So this, we're we're thrilled to be part of this new show. And so there's some very talented young people that are the heart and soul of the new one. It's basically like looking at ourselves 30 years ago when we were for us, making something new, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch, fun to be part of.
4: Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo can help. Tracking is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online, from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.
5: Hi, I'm Mike Reese. I've been writing for The Simpsons for 30 years. But in my spare time, I travel. I've been to Iran, Iraq, the North Pole, the South Pole, Chernobyl. (laughs) These are my vacations, folks. I've even been to North Korea. That's the scary Korea. It's all in my new travel podcast on the Believe Network called What Am I Doing Here? It's fast, it's funny, and it's factual enough. You'll hear how I was robbed in Rio, kidnapped in Honduras, dangled from a cliff in Pakistan, and chased by a lady with a meat cleaver again in Honduras. I had a lot of problems in Honduras. Each week, I visit all the world's hotspots and hellholes so you don't have to. You're welcome. Download and subscribe to What Am I Doing Here, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I think it's important. We can't overstate like the impact that the cartoon had, because in 92, you're talking most superhero films are not great. You know, you've got the Phantom you had Dick Tracy which a lot of people had high expectations for which isn't a terrible film but is nowhere near what they what they thought it was you know you had Batman but then everything was not and you had Batman and everything else right Batman was great every other superhero property was I think it's fair to say close to terrible and then you had the cartoon come, which became like this, this, and you know, as you mentioned, like without the cartoon, you don't get to the X Men films, and without the cartoon, you don't get to the Marvel Studios today. It just doesn't happen because statistically, the, the amount of people, even at X Men's height, was maybe a million people, maybe two. Like, and that was a lot of that had to do with a speculative bubble that was yeah. taking place at the time that you were writing this. So, for the books, yeah. right? Yeah. The books, yeah, yeah. So, like, do you do you ever stop and think about? Being able like to put that impression on pop culture and, and seeing that little that, that snowball become bigger and bigger—it's
3: it's it's really it's really surreal.
2: It
1: is
3: because we remember being younger and what what amount of pop culture superheroes had. We got Once every 10 years, there'd be a yes. Batman movie. Once every 10 years, there'd be a couple of Superman movies. There'd be a good one and a couple of bad ones. And I was a Star
2: Trek girl, so yeah, I mean, it yeah. was, you we,
3: know. We, 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 we were aware of, we were looking for pop culture, and there wasn't much. I mean, Star Trek would hit in the mid-60s, and then uh, Star Wars hit in the mid-70s as these huge comets that then would kind of, like, burn out, and then there'd be... Then there'd be ten years of well. Are we ever going to see anything again? Little blips, and you'd think people would catch on. That look at the look at the fidelity. Look at look at the passion of these pop culture people. Shouldn't we also be trying to do something <laughs> similar to that? But out here, they just you know, you, 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 Margaret Les tried the entire 80s to sell X-Men. To any one of the t- the, the the networks, he had Stanley beside her in all the pitch meetings.
2: She was working for Marvel Studios.
3: Couldn't get them to, re- you know. Oh look, Margaret, come on, you know that's a, yeah. You know, no one knows th- it. Yeah, a few hundred thousand Pimley guys in their basement read those comic books. We're not. This is not the four or five million uh, viewers we needed a minimum to make a successful Saturday morning show. Just stop already. And that was Hollywood's attitude, both for TV and movies.
2: The astonishing thing for us at the time. Because, again, internet was not the thing it is now. So we, but we would get information about the ratings uh, occasionally. And you got to remember there was ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Those were your Saturday morning blocks for kids' shows nationally. You had your syndicateds, but those were the big, at the time, the big three and the little scrappy upstart Fox kids. Once X-Men got started, there were times when literally half of all TV sets in the United States were watching X-Men. Not just you know kids, yeah. but all TV sets, half are watching X-Men. You can't wrap your head around that. And that, and that makes
3: make it t- such a communal thing. Every other kid at the playground had seen the show previous Saturday, and they're all talking about it, versus nowadays a huge hit might be 2% of, oh. of, of the viewing audience. So you have two out of 100 kids would have seen something. How can that be a communal, shared part of your culture if... Yeah.
2: And speaking as a gal, you know, uh, the, the, for X-Men play on the playground, you know, girls got to be tough, yes. it's not tougher, you know, with, without any condescension, or any, which which is in its own way, you know, remarkable, and I'm so proud of it. a part hear of that. that.
3: We hear that lots of women saying, look, I finally had somebody I could pretend to be, you know, at school. I could be Storm, I could be Rogue, I could kick ass as much as the guys could kick ass. And yeah. It just for this was it was unintentional on our part. We just looked at <laughs> the twenty nine different people that had been X Men in the books from nineteen sixty three to when we started, and said, so "What what's like the best mix of eight, so that they're all very different from each other?" Well, that's right. You and don't it, want
2: Cable and Wolverine and, and Colossus
3: <laughs> and Thunderbird. <laughs> you don't want six big gruff guys growling at each other. You want this yeah. this range of people and range of powers that are animation friendly, and it just worked out as half half girls half guys and that was it was that was not a feminist statement that was not but luckily we had again female executives above us because we've been on other shows where you would found in a team like that and they say, oh no no it needs to be seven guys and a girl. Mm-hmm. we just need the smurfs and a Smurf hat stop with this you know the, the girl merchandise doesn't sell you know boys won't watch
1: it get us out of here but we know obviously we never got that note from our bosses. Yeah, no, those and those X Men toys for everybody were everywhere. Uh, I mean, Toys R Us used to have entire sections of just X Men toys, and the only ones you could find was Strong Guy who did not, <laughs> appear, did not appear on the show. I don't. I don't think. Maybe in the cameo or something. But a cameo, yeah. I as
2: think. we say Easter egg. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, but I'm curious. I'm curious about the, the, the two of you. How did you? How did you two come together? And then, how did you come together for the x
0: Project? The, the
2: short the short version is, I was born in Wisconsin, grew up in Texas, and my senior year of college, someone said, hey, you can move to California and write for Hollywood. What? So, I came out to Hollywood, uh, 10 years of knocking on doors and trying to figure out some way into the writing business. I got a job at Disney Animation for the Golden Disney Afternoon.
3: In, in an office next to mine.
2: Mm-hmm, and that's where we met. Yeah. You came from.
3: I, came, I grew up in small town Minnesota, then, then East Tennessee, and then came out here, uh, had a, like a patched-the-other cinema degree, made a low-budget movie when I got out of college. So I was very Hollywood-focused. I wasn't quite as, as naive as, as she was coming out here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, making a, making a low budget movie and, and a, and a dollar will get you, will get you some bad coffee out here. It's not, it's, it was, it wasn't much of an introduction. So I had to try to figure out my way to breaking out here too. And I've been writing like crazy during that time. And, uh, a neighbor was at Hanna-Barbera and said, look, we suddenly got into the syndication stuff and, It's tripled our workload. They're hiring writers. Do you have something I could show my boss, Gene McCurdy, who is a lifelong friend of of Margaret Lesh, by Mm -hmm. the way, so they all know each other. And so uh, thanks to that guy, she looked at it and said, yeah, this guy can write okay, and he can pitch to us now. And then got in and got my first gig, Challenge of the GoBots, which was a Transformer competitor in the mid-'80s, so this has been January '85. And ended up writing six of those, and just it just never stopped from there. So, so we, but we met, met at Disney.
2: We met at Disney, but you met Sydney Eyewater.
3: You're right. And and while I was, I did about a year at Hanna Barbera. Then I did a year at a place called TMS, which is a Japanese animation house that did beautiful animation, like some of the Dis, the best Disney afternoon stuff was done at TMS. Mm-hmm. And it was they had a tiny outlet out here, in Sydney, who ended up being our creative supervisor for X Men and Beetlejuice, and Batman, and Spider-Man, and And, I mean,
2: Life with Louie, everything.
3: His imprint is on all those shows. He's the crazed nine-year-old boy that made all those shows as good as they are. I happen to get thrown into this, this little company as the development staff for Sydney, And for nine months, I just came up with new shows for him. And so that's how I knew him before getting the X-Men offered. So, so, but, Fo- you, you Fo- got, but you got Beetlejuice. Five years later, uh, he called me. He said, "Look, we're just starting up Fox. We, we're got to do a season of Beetlejuice here. The two folks that have done it for three years—they're wonderful people, Ted and Patsy. They're going to get burned down. it. Can you do them a script and see if they like it? And yes, they loved, liked it. Can you like super? Can you be the showrunner on the last ep- season? Wonderful." Great. This is after getting after we left Disney, so we were freelance now and have, I think, a baby on the way. We had a
2: baby, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And so, great. I get a, get a whole season working yeah. for... And so, did it, 20 supervised, edited, whatever, 20 Beetlejuice scripts. And then that's how I got the X-Men offer because I, I didn't know the X-Men. I hadn't read the books. And just the night before this huge meeting, we got a call from Sydney saying, Eric, you know, you're going to be in charge of developing the X-Men and, and running the show, and everybody from Marvel and everybody from Saban, and they're all going to be at the meeting tomorrow morning, and I, you don't know anything about these these characters, just smile and keep your mouth shut and nod your head, and we'll get you through the first week or so, and then it'll be great. So that was doing two year-long jobs with the hiring executive was what got me the X-Men job, not any knowledge of (laughs) X-Men.
4: Thank God, (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Yes. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosyandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused.
5: Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy mini-series is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy a Weiwo.tv mini series
1: Which is it's a common Hollywood story right like it's it's usually that's how it happens is, you know the neighbor knows somebody who knows somebody and that's that's your entry point in, into the business Uh um, well,
2: be kind to people. Let folks yes. know you want to do a thing. Let them know you're interested in whatever it is you want to do. Get that out there because that's how those openings happen for
1: you. Yes. That was going to be my next question. Is, what advice would you give to TV writers? Uh, let's say you had a time machine. You can go back. Yeah. Uh, and all of the bad people have already been killed using the time machine. So putting that aside, if you were to go back to talk to yourselves as you started writing, what would you what would you say? Okay
2: well write more because yeah. the more you have in your file cabinet the the more, the greater the opportunity because I have been there I have seen it when someone walks into a restaurant and there's a bunch of people who happen to be writers there oh you know we're working on a new show over here uh, you got um, a half hour comedy oh I don't okay now, do you have a half hour comedy it, the, having yes. your sample work available and ready to roll would, would have been a bigger difference maker if I'd known more then
3: yeah and a, you get better as you do it, yes. even if nobody ever buys it, Correct. but it becomes your portfolio like you're mm-hmm. an artist. The, what what we tell writers is there's this wonderful thing that Disney used to do about once a quarter where they'd have a big room with 20 of their artists and executives sitting there and you could be somebody with no credits, but if you had a portfolio, you could walk and say, look, look how I draw characters. Look how I draw action. Here's an example of a storyboard that I started. Here's the other one. If you've got... 30 or 40 different things that you show, that shows your talent, just, hey, maybe this guy's worth, you know, giving a shot to because you've, you've demonstrated it rather than, well, I think I could draw, I think I could draw really well. And so writers tend to not have their portfolios. They tend to be working at, you know, wanting to get their scripts perfect or wanting to get
2: which you should do for your sample. Yeah. Don't fit yeah. out a crap sample.
3: Yeah. But the fact that when the, when my neighbor came by and said, well, "Do you have something to show her?" I said, "Well, yeah, I've got like a twelve hour miniseries." "Oh no,", no. she's like a, "I've got like I've got a uh, I've got like a, an R rated movie." "No, I've I've got an hour drama." "No, no I've I've got a couple of half hour sitcoms." "I didn't I didn't have an animation script." It "Never occurred to me that that would be my first way in." She said, "Oh, the half hour sitcom would be perfect because we're doing a lot of." comedies and it's short and okay so that works but I, I need to go through my list of 12 different things that I had before he found on. oh that would be pro- if I didn't have it so he just kind of probably shrugged and said I can't show her an R-rated movie script she's that's yeah. that, that's she's not going to get how that connects to writing Scooby-Doo I mean what's where's the so having a variety and just keep keep doing it and showing it to friends you can trust mm-hmm. as you're doing it so you get some sort of feedback um, but and then keep on and perseverance we had we had a dear friend that made a career for 20 years doing commercials he's an actor oh yeah and he had you know some great ambitions and you all do when you come out here I, he, I swear he said he would go to two 300 uh, uh, auditions a year he'd get four or five gigs. Each one—I mean, that was plenty for a comfortable life. But he'd go out knowing the 295 of these things I'm going to get. No, you're—you're—you're you're, you're not right for this. Get rejection. But he just got up the next day and went to three more auditions. And that's—that's—that's that's, that's half of it.
2: And I think, at least here in Los Angeles, today, good lord, I—I I, I think, oh my gosh, it would have been so much easier today if we had today back then just in terms of the internet look at us talking to you this was impossible this was magic back then yeah. but reaching out and meeting people not pestering people but meeting people um, getting making, an
3: agent just oh good lord yeah, right. I, I, but having
2: your material so you can get an agent that's that's what you, yeah. you know having your samples so you can do that yeah. uh, meeting people through like the animation guild through the uh, through the writers guild yeah. there are groups of people now Uh, All over the place, not just L.A. You know, seek people out would be advice too.
1: I I think it's beautifully said. Now I want to make sure we talk about the books. Oh yes. Uh, So you you have two books um, that have come out about the X-Men cartoon. So for for fans that want to buy this, uh, would would you like to tell us about both of them? Oh yeah. Uh The
3: the the first one which we did ourselves without Marvel's blessing because they weren't interested back then. They didn't have all the rights to the show. That's a long historical, but, but it's, it's a really dense, it's 450 pages of interviews. We interviewed all the cast, the crew, the writers, the executives, all the people that made it possible, we, we interviewed, and then it's a personal history from that first day when we got the phone call you know, on Sunday night, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, you're, you're gonna have to start help running this, you're gonna have to run this X-Men show, be ready, until the last day, and when we locked up on the last season it's a, it's a personal history of the show but again points of, and it gives examples of scripts and outlines and premises and how we came up with the stories and all
2: fair use but it's all in there there is it, yeah. it's a dense book i call it an oral history yeah. Because there are a lot of interviews in there with people that we've lost, sadly, in the last five years.
3: Yeah, four or five, like Len Wein, who co-created mm-hmm. half the characters in yes. the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did four, four. He wrote four episodes for us in the show, oh, and he gave us this head. wonderful eleven-page interview in here, where he told about his how he got into comics in the first place, and uh, what the adjustment was like coming out to Hollywood and doing animation. So that's that's for the really committed, just. I want to know all the the behind-the-scenes details of everyday uh, people
2: because it hadn't been done before.
3: It's harder for people a, that, are, that right aren't point. super fans to get into because
2: no, it's not.
3: It's fascinating. It's fascinating, but it, if you love, but the other one is for, for just for we're more. Average, it's jam-packed with all the artwork it's, that we couldn't <laughs> put into this one because Marvel loved this one and they said, "Well, look, the rights are coming together." Let's go back and get all the artwork together, and make some original
2: uh, this may not work, but yeah, just things you oh, thought wow. you saw. We got all the cameos in there, thanks to Larry Houston. We've lots
3: got- you know, lots of cells. I mean besides the screen grabs, anybody can do off the screen, but storyboard. Original storyboards. There's even a there's a we put in the storyboard of the original the first take of the opening sequence, which is very different from the second uh the one everybody knows it was the second draft
2: but when you open the book here are larry houston's original storyboards for what you saw nice. on the screen so yeah. and that's front and back there and he and rick Holberg did the art for us on the cover and on the back and will minio uh did some original art for the book so if you're this is we it was a it was a treasure hunt we got to because it was not on computer back then. Nothing was saved on computer back then. It every,
3: was... Everything hand-painted. And just, we didn't realize how much heavy lifting work there was. Tens of thousands of man-hours of work yeah. to do one of these... I mean, we just were focused on getting the scripts right.
4: Right. And yeah. handing
3: them off to all these other hundreds of people. And we did the math. And in one episode, we figured there's maybe four or 500,000 paintings that they do. Because every, you know... Twelfth of a second. You'll have two or three background paintings that are laid over each other, and then maybe three different uh, character paint and some props and some special effects. That's eight or nine different paintings for twelfth of a second.
2: And I'm just going to show this. These are some individual cells um, just to show you the movement of Wolverine's head. Everything he had to get drawn. The movement of his mouth. Everything. The art is.
1: The art is spectacular oh, in that book. Like it, it yeah. looks so good.
2: Oh. Um, yeah. And that's not us. Those are the artists who made that happen, and we are grateful that some of them hang, yeah. hung on to stuff. And we, like right. I said, we got to do our treasure hunt and find it.
3: Yeah, and, and grateful that Marvel and our the wonderful publisher just really put a lot, made a lot of put a lot of money to make this four pound book look beautiful.
2: Abrams books. We've been so grateful for their support on this because it's
3: yeah.
1: I was ask, so the first one is previously on X Men. Yes. This is, what is the title of the second book for people that want to look it up and buy it?
2: The second one is X-Men, the art and making of the animated series. Thanks. And uh, we, just rolling on here, uh, I'm on Twitter way too much. I think that's how you and I found each other. Yes. But X-Men T-A-S is, is us on Twitter. And in our bio there, we have links to Amazon to purchase the book if you want to go that route. We encourage you to please call your local comic book shop. These last two years have just been devastating.
3: Yeah, this this one's easier to find at comic book stores. The first one it's basically, you know, get it through Amazon or get it through the publisher. If you get it from the publisher, uh, it will be a signed copy. <laughs> Cause they came and br- you bring a couple thousand and just say, Eric, sign them. <laughs> and so so that's one w- advantage of buying it directly from the publisher. And
2: that's Jacobs Brown Media Group. Yeah. Um, the book has been spotted in the wild at Barnes & Noble's The Art Book. We're very happy about that but yeah it's just it's been real gratifying and it's given us a reason to go to cons now having been writers it's like well we can't draw or do a voice for you but um, now we got a book we can show you and stories we can talk about
3: so starting in 2017 in October we started going to to cons with this book and then now that COVID has lifted we started going to cons with this book the first one was in December this past December at LA Con and there was this wonderful pent up energy from all the fans we've been looking for for merch for a year and (laughs) a half please have something for me so uh yeah that's and we've got a few cons coming up but just
1: spot we're not sure exactly when when and where but uh, a few more on on the list where can we find you online like what's the what's the handle again what's the website
2: Please, we are at X-Men TAS, which stands for X-Men the Animated Series. That was just something we came up with, you know, five years ago to get started. And that's, so we are on Facebook at uh, X-Men the Animated Series, or X-Men TAS. Uh, We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter, X-Men TAS. We also have a web page, our own web account, xmentas.com, where we um, have ways to get the book and store, you know, more stories and blog yeah, stuff. There,
3: there's more, there's more, there are more anecdotes and and images and fun tidbits on the website that aren't in either of the books.
2: So, so please stories. seek us out. You know, I try and be responsive, and we're we're so grateful that the fans have. Uh, I, I'm gonna say grown over the years, the number of people who are X-Men animated it, series fans.
3: It's just crazy everywhere we go. I mean, in in Singapore, the, the
2: we don't travel much, but we got the, to go to the Singapore. The luggage handlers
3: all gathered around us and said, "Oh, because you had an X-Men oh, T-shirt on." My
2: previously on X-Men yeah. jacket, and,
3: <laughs> and they said, "Oh yeah, Storm's my favorite." They are. They are People have, when we did the books, they sent us testimonials, like, oh. I grew up learning English watching the show, I grew up doing this, I, I became a, you know, I became a philosophy major because of Beast, I became a French major because of Gambit. I, I'm know, a
2: brain surgeon because of Beast. I mean, yeah, you, uh, what? <laughs>
3: yeah, so, and it, it is literally worldwide. It, Fox had a wonderful uh ability to get the the thing out there and so it's to us it's been a a passport to the planet
2: that's nice i like
5: that this is greg goldstein and i'm the applause sign operator here at Weiwo tv but turning this cute little sign on is only a small part of what i do with the show i also pay the bills so if you like what you just heard and you want to hear more episodes of Weiwo tv Let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broken pencil.
6: Broken pencil who? Never
5: mind, there's no point.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since ancient Greece. That's why, at that funny agency, We're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness. At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together. Customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360-degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people.
5: That's it for this episode of Weibo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Voorhees, and those dulcet tones you hear those of Rosie Tran, Crixley, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted by Mr. BJ Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So folks, stay strong, stay safe, and stay sexy. Thanks for listening. Okay, your 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 middle name is Macho, but uh I'm wondering if you ever cry. Has a macho man ever
3: cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees, yeah. And... uh, I understand this. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again.
4: Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, please take a minute and leave us a review. Yes, we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this, but there's a good reason they do. Because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you, more great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right?